This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Later in this episode, we'll talk about the late Kirk Douglas, the famous movie star. But right now, we welcome the town historian of Bethlehem, New York, Susan Leith. Uh, Susan, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me on the show. Well, good to have you with us. Uh, Wasn't what is now Bethlehem, which is a town just south of the city of Albany, wasn't uh, that a place uh, where the famed explorer Henry Hudson actually set foot on the land? Well, that is um, one of those wonderful myths. Um, You know, Henry Hudson was certainly in the area of Bethlehem, but we don't have a record that, you know, he literally stepped foot on our shores, you know. But he he and the Half Moon and the crew were certainly in the area, you know, and certainly explored. But did he actually step foot in Bethlehem? I don't know. No, no. But (laughs) doesn't the town have a Henry Hudson Park? We do. We have a Henry Hudson Park. We've got, the town's got about eight miles of Hudson River shoreline. Um, You know, and the park remembers Henry Hudson and commemorates, you know, his landing, quote, unquote. Um, But, you know, the river was really important to Bethlehem's development as Mm -hmm. a town and as a community. Um, Having access to the Hudson River for our farmers and everything, um, you know, was just, um, it was like the superhighway of the day, you know, the Hudson River. So, you know, their, um, you know, cash crops of hay and wheat and apples could go to Albany, and a lot of it went to New York City as well, because we had landings on the Hudson River where, you know, they could get down to the, the barge or whatever, or the steamship, and head down to New York City. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. I I read that the town was created in 1793, uh, taking land from the town of Watervliet. Yep, that is correct. We are officially erected in 1793, but our first town meeting was in 1794, um, and it was Philip Van Rensselaer, I believe, who's with, uh, who built historic Cherry Hill in Albany. That was mm-hmm. part of the town of Bethlehem at the time, and he was our first supervisor, 1794, officially. Was it so, called Bethlehem then? It was called Bethlehem then, yep. Um, we think the name is probably biblical. We don't have, yeah. a, you know, an exact time of it. Um, but we do know there was a, a community at Bethlehem um, in the you know 1640s or 1650s, um, right near the confluence of the Hudson River and the Vlomenkill, um, that in the old you know Dutch records from that time from the um, um, you know Beverwick and, and the mm-hmm. Rensler, Van Rensselaers, um, you know referred to the community at Bethlehem. So ha- the name goes way back. So has the town ever kind of taken advantage of that, or I mean? done anything special to mark Christmas, I guess is what I'm saying. You know, you know, we have not. But you know the weird thing I get every once in a while is people collect stamped, um, like canceled um, yes. stamps for postage, yes. you know? And I'll get one of, oh, can, you know, you're the town of Bethlehem. Can Is there a post office that can, you know, cancel my stamp with Bethlehem? And, you know, we have lots of post office uh, related to our hamlets, you know, the villages. So, you know, there's the Delmar Post Office, and there's the Slingerland Post Office, but there isn't a Bethlehem Post Office. Oh, there's no place you can stamp at Bethlehem. Right. We have a, a hamlet of South Bethlehem, and they do have a, a little post office that's open very limited hours. So you could get a South Bethlehem cancellation on your stamp, hmm. but that's it. 
I know when I d- drive into Bethlehem from Albany, which is how I usually do it, although you can come other ways, you go over the Norman Skill. Yes. Tell and us about the Norman Skill. And it's... The Norman Skill, um, it's named for Albert Brat the Norman. Uh, he's the Norwegian. So that's kind of, you know, your old Dutch of the, the Norwegian's Creek. Um, and he was a, you know, old settler there. Um, the Brat, the Van Der Zee, the Slingerland, they're all connected. Um, and you'll hear those names, you know, to today. So he's the guy that they named the creek after. Um, but, you know, it wasn't the line, the town line. You know, like I said, it was up near Cherry Hill, which I think is 3rd Avenue in Albany, you know. So we had mm-hmm. we were much bigger <laughs> than Albany took pieces. And then um, the town in New Scotland was created off the town of Bethlehem as well, which a lot of people don't realize. But that was in the early days. How did you um, become town historian? How did I become town historian? Well, it, you know, I, I've always loved history. When we first moved here, I think it was 95, you know, my kids were really little. Um, one of the first things I did was join the Bethlehem Historical Association and got really involved with them. And, you know, there came a point in, was 19, the summer of, ni- of no, of 2027, 2007, when um, my family left me home alone, which is probably not a good idea. And I was like, <laughs> I'm ready. I need to get out, expand my horizons, you know, right. little kid stuff. And um, I knew that the town had a position of town historian that was open. So got my resume together and talked to people and had an interview and then got appointed. So, We're talking with Susan Leith, who is the Bethlehem town historian. And we talked to a town and village and city historians quite a bit on the uh, podcast. And, and I hate to ask you this, but I guess I will. Are you one of the paid historians or is this a volunteer? I do get paid. I have an annual stipend. You know, it's a, you know, as town historian, you're appointed annually. Um, you know, I get $5,000. They're very happy to whatever I can do to contribute, you know, Mm-hmm. to promoting the town's, the town's history and educating folks about it. So, yeah. What do, you, what do you do in the job? What do I do in the job? <laughs> well, right now, I am, there's a, one of my big projects is restoring the Slingerland Family Burial Vault, and that has led me down all kinds of interesting research paths. Um, I've been researching James Dixon, who is an African-American who lived in Bethlehem in the Slingerland's Hamlet um, in the 1850s, right up till he died in 1907. And, and um, you know, I've been researching John I. Slingerland. He was a U.S. congressman, you know, big name in the Hamlet. Um, you know, doing that, you know, kind of research about the community and connecting people to our history. Um, I just, you know, I'm a history geek, as all of us historians are, and I just, I love the way local history connects to, like, national events and national history. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just had the funniest thing just yesterday. I'll tell you this story. Just yesterday, I was, you know, I randomly was Googling on archive.org looking for things about John I. Slingerland, and up comes something from Abraham Lincoln. You know, it's an old... Um, uh, auction catalog where someone was selling their collection of Abraham Lincoln autographs and signatures and paraphernalia. Mm-hmm. And in there is where Abraham Lincoln signed a subscription to purchase John I. Slingerland's congressional speech. Huh? I, was like, I know, it's just kind of that little moment where you go, Abraham Lincoln, 
knew John I. Slingerlin. Like, I knew they were in Congress together. I, I imagined them, you know, on opposite ends of the building, you know, not really knowing each other. But he actually knew who John I. Slingerlin was and, you know, signed up to purchase copies of his speech. And I thought, wow, that's cool, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> You've written maybe more than one, but you've written a book about Bethlehem, Historic Tales of Bethlehem, New York. I I have. I've actually got three books. One is, um, you know, Bethlehem, which is more the picture series, Images of America from Arcadia, and then the Historic Tales, and then uh, my most recent one is called Bethlehem People and Places. So I, I write articles for a local paper and, you know, have gathered them up to put into a book. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And recently, uh, you did a talk on National Register of Historic Places in Bethlehem. What are some of them? What are some of them? Um, we've got, I think it's 12 or 13. Of course, I can't get the exact number. Right. Um, one of the most famous is the Bethlehem House or the Nickel Sill House, which is um, right in that area. It's Bethlehem House. It was built about 1735. Great old Dutch architecture great old Dutch family. He's the guy who built it, built it was Rensselaer Nickel, and you get that Rensselaer, the Van Rensselaer part, so he was a relation of the Van Rensselaer family, and he had a pretty big estate there. So that's one of the more, you know, famouser ones, if that's a word. Um, the most recent one that I worked on was the Slingerlands um, National Historic District, um, which has a great variety of, of historic houses and homes in it. So... One thing as a historian, I really like to make people aware that, you know, we have great history right here in Bethlehem. Let's work to preserve it, um, you know, and, and keep it for the future. We're talking with Susan Leith, who is Bethlehem Town historian. When I was uh, setting up the interview with you, uh, you had said, well, I couldn't do it yesterday or whatever day it was because you were leading an historian field trip. What, oh. did, you, what did you do? <laughs> historical field trip. I wasn't really leading it. I was part of the historical field trip. Um, We were back in the hamlet of Slingerlands again, um, the Albany County Rail Trail that goes through there, and there's an old freight house that was part of the Delaware and Hudson Railroad that is actually owned by Albany County, and we had an opportunity to just go in and take a look and, you know, see what the status of it was and talk to some of the representatives about, you know, how it can be reused and what it can what kind of impact it could have for the rail trail, you know? Mm-hmm. So that sure. was my little historic field trip. Got to go in and check out that old place. Now, also, uh, Bethlehem, the town, is full of hamlets. I wrote, I don't know if this is all of them, Delmar, Ellesmere, Glenmont, North Bethlehem, Selkirk, Slingerlands, and South Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. So people kind of identify more with those or do they? You know, as it say, as opposed to saying I'm from Bethlehem, they say, "Well, I'm from Delmar." Right. I think it's a combination of that. You know, that people do identify with the hamlet name. You know, and it, because often the hamlet names, I believe, are connected to the school names, and you kind of connect with your school or where your kids go to school. Um, so th- I think that's where people are connected with the name, and also it's the post office. You know, because you get where your mail is sent to. Like we were just talking at the beginning. You know, there's no. Bethlehem Post Office. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think people connect a lot with the town, with the names. Oh, and that, oh, I could go on and on. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I just had it, you know, there's always something new to learn. I mean, I feel like I've been town historian a long time, but there's always some little kernel that comes along and you go, oh my goodness, I didn't know that. 
we just, um, a gentleman with the Bethlehem Historical Association was doing some research on suffragettes and the, you know, getting the women's uh, right to vote, because that's in, vo- in vogue right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was uh, researching Alicia Hurlbut, which is kind of an obscure name. And he had a house, and he called his house Glenmont. And I never knew this. Like, we knew about Glenmont, and I'd heard some stories about possibly where that name came from. But we just found out that he had written a series of journals from when he lived in what is now we call Glenmont here in Bethlehem. And um, so in the 1850s, you know, he purchases this land and this house, and he calls it Glenmont because Uh. it's on a mont. It's kind of up the hill, and it has a glen, and it's right (laughs) there in a journal. Like, you know, so you get these little nuggets that are like, wow, I didn't know that. Now, isn't Glenmont sort of uh, toward the river, but yes. near the throughway, isn't it? Or no? It is. It yeah. is. It is. Um, you know, historically, it would be on River Road where Glenmont Road comes in, which is right near the river. You know, with the, the post office and Glenmont School, the name has kind of expanded up mm-hmm. to um, Route 9W and Fearbush Road. So that's that's all Glenmont right around in there. And again, the place I'm familiar with is Delmar. I mean, it's like yeah. a, the business section, isn't it? Yep. Or, yeah, you you come into it right out of the city of Albany. Right out of Albany, yep. You come through Ellesmere, and then you come to Delmar with the, you know, historic Four Corners. And I find it interesting that that Four Corners name, which was, which is Delaware Avenue and, um, what is that, Kenwood Avenue, mm-hmm. you know, goes back right around to the 1900. They were talking about the Delmar Four Corners, you know, and come to town and experiences the shops and, and the kind of the village life there right at Delmar. Yeah. So what's the... I, I don't know, the big picture of, of Bethlehem. Like, I'm from Amsterdam, New York, and we're going to hear about our most famous native son in a few minutes, uh, Kirk Douglas. But Amsterdam w- was an industrial city. I mean, they made carpets and other uh, brooms and things like that. What was the story of Bethlehem? The story of Bethlehem, I, you know, is a story of the, the early settlers, which, you know, basically were farmers. Um, we were definitely an agricultural community going back into history. Um, yeah, we're a bunch of farmers. I mean, it doesn't sound okay. very exciting, but that's what, you well, know, it is. Exciting. We're a suburb, yeah. Yeah, suburb of Albany, so we have a strong agricultural history. And then you get up to, um, you know, when the railroad comes through in the 1860s, 1870s, you start getting um, kind of railroad suburbs where people figure out they can live out in the countryside and hop on the train and mm-hmm. get into Albany. Um and then, of course, automobile suburbs, especially, um, you know, right before World War One, there's kind of a burst in that Delmar, Ellesmere area of development of suburbs, and then especially after World War Two, you know, then we get a lot of suburban development. But the southern half of Bethlehem is very, is still very rural, mm-hmm. you know, if you drive down to South Bethlehem, parts of Selkirk, you know, you're, you're out in the country very quickly, which mm-hmm. I think is really kind of cool, sure. you know. Yeah. Uh, and talking to the supervisor for another show that I do, David Van Leuven, mm-hmm. um, I gather right now Bethlehem's bucking the trend of uh, upstate communities losing their population. Your population's growing. Uh, I guess so. I don't know. I think that's great, you know. I think there is certainly a lot of development and a lot of development pressure that I see, you know, as historian and as a resident, you know, that I, I worry about you know, historic homes and losing 
the open spaces and losing those farms. I know Bethlehem has a strong open space preservation program. So I'd really like to work to getting that to tie in with historic preservation, you know, get those things to go along together. Um, but yeah, Bethlehem is definitely a growing, a growing, vibrant community, you know, and they love their history. They really do. Hmm. And that you mentioned there is a historical society or association? There is. There's the Bethlehem Historical Association, um, BHA, as we like to call them. Um, they have a museum at the Cedar Hill Schoolhouse. Uh, Cedar Hill is a community, you know, right on the right on the river. It's kind of one of those historical names that doesn't really have a hamlet there now, but historically Cedar Hill was um, mm-hmm. a pretty big hamlet. It's where that Bethlehem house that I mentioned, it's in the hamlet of Cedar Hill. Um, so they um, got a, uh, it's the Cedar Hill Schoolhouse is their historic building, which is where the museum is. And um, I work with them quite a lot. We're mm-hmm. working now on an exhibit called um, Rivers, Roads, and Rails to mm-hmm. kind of tie together mm-hmm. those kind of how you got around in the community sure. in Bethlehem. Yeah. Susan Leith is historian of the town of Bethlehem, New York. You're listening to The Historian's Podcast. The Historian's Podcast depends on your contributions to keep going. We're into our sixth year on the podcast. You can donate to our GoFundMe page. You can find the link on our website, bobcudmore.com. And they'll explain how to donate online, but we also accept donations in the mail. Make a check out to me, Bob Cudmore, and send to Bob Cudmore, 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. And thank you very much. The following audio was kindly provided to us by WAMC, a public radio in upstate New York, WAMC, a Northeast Public Radio based in Albany. An interview with me done by one of their news reporters, Lucas Willard. Golden Age Hollywood actor Kirk Douglas died last week at age 103. Douglas was born, Isir Danielovich, on December 9, 1916 in Amsterdam in New York's Mohawk Valley. Even as he rose to fame in California, Douglas kept close with family members who remained in the area. Longtime Capital Region broadcaster, historian, and author Bob Cudmore also grew up in Amsterdam and as a journalist covered the Kirk Douglas Day celebration in 1985. Kirk Douglas and Amsterdam have had an interesting relationship over the years. I mean, in in a large extent, he's a great symbol to all of us of somebody who came from a small town from really abject poverty and was able to to do something great, you know, go, but he had to do that. He had to go somewhere else. So he left Amsterdam and went to Hollywood. I mean, it's a longer story than that. But he started starring in movies starting in 1949. That was his first uh, big hit, uh, the movie Champion. Uh, and so he was pretty famous right from that, that get-go. And he would come back to Amsterdam somewhat, but he came back almost secretly. <clears throat> he had several friends. He didn't, like, make a big deal about coming back uh, home. And he had, you know, kind of his own family issues, which are sort of part of his story. Uh, you know, he had a mother and a father. 
Uh, her, his father was the ragman in Amsterdam. In fact, uh, Kirk's autobiography is called The Ragman's Son. It was a family of nine, and that's how they were being supported uh, and by the, the, the ragman. And he was, and Harry Dembski, his father, was probably, at one point anyway, better known in Amsterdam than Kirk, you know, who was, when he was a boy, he was known as Izzy, although his real name was Isur Danielovich. <clears throat> and Harry Dembski, his father, or his real name was Herschel, um, it, was a well-known drinker, gambler, brawler. Uh, Kirk describes him in the autobiography as the toughest, strongest Jew in Amsterdam. I'd hate to be an armchair psychologist, but others have made this point, that I think Kirk spent a good part of his life trying to get his father's approval. Uh, his mom, a woman named Bryna, was more spiritual. Eventually, they divorced, which wasn't as common then. Uh, and, you know, Harry, by all accounts, was a, a difficult man. And Kirk was involved with them over the years, you know, both parents, you know, coming back. I think he actually paid for his father to live in this uh, hotel called the uh, Baji's Fourth Ward Hotel in, uh, in Amsterdam. And he would visit his mother, who lived with one of his many sisters. Most of the sisters settled in the capital district. A couple of them are still alive. Uh, the one that comes right to mind is Ida, uh, Ida Sarr, is, um, who I think is also over 100, so there's good, good genes in the Douglases. What can you tell me about Amsterdam 103 years ago when... Kirk Douglas was born and how it differs from today. Obviously, the region and the Mohawk Valley region is known for its carpet manufacturing and its textile businesses and its furniture businesses. What was Amsterdam like 103 years ago? It was a booming industrial center, really. Uh, it, <clears throat> the carpet industry was the big deal in Amsterdam, and there were other industries as well. And um, that's what was going on then. It was, you know, I can't even imagine what it was like. It wasn't like that exactly when I was growing up, although the carpet industry was still there. You know, I'm about in the mid-70s, so I grew up after World War II, but that's when these mills were all moving out, you know, kind of simultaneous with uh, Kirk Douglas's uh, career. And one of the issues that he uh, focuses on in his autobiography, The Ragman's Son, is anti-Semitism, which he said was rampant in Amsterdam. And that caused him uh, you know, to lo maybe lose some friends in Amsterdam or you know, people uh, thought he was being too, I don't know, over the top with that. And there was also another part of his uh, autobiography that caused controversy and that was, he had a mentor who was a high school teacher, a woman, and he describes, it says who she is in the, in the book, and describes how they had an affair. And, uh, that, and people thought that was unfair of him to, to say that. So there's, even though Kirk is much beloved in Amsterdam, he, he, there was always this back and forth. Of course, you got to realize that in Amsterdam, we all have opinions, and we all are, you know, we're, we're, it tends to be a scrappy place, you know, and I think that's probably true of Schenectady and Utica and, and other of these um, mill towns up here. So Kirk was sort of just sort of part of that milieu, and uh, some of the local politicians didn't like him, but others did, and 
there was always this sense that, well, you know, he left here. Why hasn't he come back? And like, you know, this town's struggling. You know, he could give us this. He could do that. Because he has been a very generous man over the years. But he's done some things, but they've been almost secret. You know, he'll, he, he, there was a young man who saved Kirk's life when they were both children. Uh, Kirk couldn't swim. He fell into this ditch full of water, and the, the kid pulled him out. So Kirk was always, uh, you know, when he came back to Amsterdam, that'd be one of the people he'd visit. Was his friend Wolfie? He was called, and and you know, and he'd help Wolfie out financially from uh, time to time. And th- there was another friend named uh, Pete Riccio who convinced uh, Kirk to go to college. Kirk wasn't going to go to college, uh, or that seemed to be his fate. Uh, he, when he got done with his brilliant, really high school career, he started working selling men's ready-to-wear at Lurie's department store. But his friend Pete Riccio said, you know, come with me, we'll go to, and they, had, they went to St. Lawrence University, and he had other help as well, that teacher of his and other people s- supported Kirk, and he was able to finish college up there and then eventually proceed into, uh, into acting. You mentioned how Amsterdam was maybe kind of a scrappy place back then. As Kirk's movie career took off and you had later blockbusters like Spartacus and mm-hmm. these big world-renowned movies, and with a younger generation coming up, did opinion of Kirk Douglas change? Well, I would say it, it changed more with the publication of his autobiography, which came after the big public display of affection for Kirk. Uh, the biography came out, I want to say, uh, well, anyway, it came out after 1985. And 1985 is when Kirk's friends in Amsterdam arranged Kirk Douglas Day. Um, the, uh, Kirk came back, and in fact, he flew into Schenectady Airport, and you know, I covered that whole day. I remember watching the plane land, and he went to Amsterdam, went down on Eagle Street. They had a lunch. They had a you know, big parade. Governor Cuomo, the original Governor Cuomo came. It was Mario Cuomo was in office. They gave him the key to the city. Um, people were just... Uh, you know, full of uh, appreciation for Kirk. But then after the Kirk Douglas day died down, whatever year it was that his book came out, that's when it sort of got a little dicey with people not appreciating him because of the his charge of anti-Semitism and his uh, to talking about the affair he had. Uh, and maybe they people thought that he was just too full of himself or something like that. And he is just, you know, he's not, and I don't want to go too far. I mean, I'm a great fan of Kirk's, but he can be, he, I, I don't really know him well. I've interviewed him once, you know, I saw him on Kirk Douglas Day and so on. But he, he uh, he's argumentative, <laughs> and uh, that's been part of his character on screen and off screen. Uh, he, for example, his founding a his own production company because he wanted to make his own movies. He named him after his mother. Brian named the company Bryna, and that was his mother's name. Uh, I know that in that great episode or that important episode in movie history where he broke the Hollywood blacklist by publicly acknowledging that uh, one of the blacklisted writers named Dalton Trumbo was the scriptwriter for Spartacus. 
Um, even that got to be controversial because he would, there was this battle sort of with Otto Preminger because Otto Preminger did the same thing and some said that it was really Preminger who did it but, but Douglas said, well, I did it, you know, and so on. Uh, later on, uh, Trumbo or Trumbo's family agreed that, yes, they, they were very appreciative of what uh, Kirk did for Dalton Trumbo. So you were there, as you said, for Kirk Douglas Day and can you tell me about what, Kirk actually did there. Uh, he gave speeches and he spoke to crowds of adoring fans. What was it like? Well, one of his speeches had to do with his home street, Eagle Street, which again is where my grandfather and his family lived. And it was very ethnically diverse. And that's what he, uh, Kirk said. He said, you know, um, my, he said, on this street, you've got the uh, Demskis, you've got the Cudmores, you've got the Allens, you've got the Rimkunises, you've um, you've got the uh, Naples. You know, there were all different ethnic groups that lived there, and you know, they they got along. It's a wonderful thing. And then he quoted his mother, as my mother used to sit on this porch and say, "Ah, America, it's such a wonderful place. You have a chance. You have a chance." And that's sort of the the soundbite I always liked from Kirk in his speech in. Uh, Kirk Douglas Day, 1985. This has been the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cutmore.